With Bonfire Night just around the corner, today we're talking all about your pet's well-being. From super sniffers to calling on your friends and neighbours for help, this episode is packed with helpful hints to make your pet's life that little bit easier. This podcast is sponsored by Zilkeen, a calming supplement made with a natural ingredient for cats and dogs. Zilkeen can help your pet cope during stressful situations such as separation, loud noises and changes to their routine. Speak to your vet today for more information. So welcome to another episode of Vets Together. This is a very special episode because, well, for two reasons. First of all, I'm joined by leading pet expert Rosie Bescaby. And secondly, because I'm doing our first interview actually live, socially distanced. We've got a big yardstick between us measuring two metres, so we're perfectly safe. And it's a pleasure to welcome you, Rosie, to the show. Thank you for having me. That's a great. That's great to see you. Lovely um, to see you. Tell me, tell us a little bit about uh, your role. Tell us a bit about what you do. Fill us in. So I'm a clinical animal behaviourist registered with the Association of Pet Behaviour Counsellors and also registered with the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. I'm based in Bristol and North Somerset near you. And um, (laughs) uh, yeah, so I see dogs, cats and rabbits on veterinary referral um, that are showing undesirable behaviours. Okay, okay. Now, pet behaviourist, that as a terminology is quite easily kind of thrown around, isn't it? Have you got, before we kind of get into it, we've got some brilliant questions from from listeners. Um, Before we kind of get into that, how how should somebody pick a a behaviourist or a trainer when they sort of got a new puppy or they've got an unwanted behaviour, like you said? Have you got some top tips? So yeah, the first thing I would say is it's an unregulated industry. So anybody can call themselves a trainer or a behaviourist and they do okay. and we do need to be careful because that obviously will have welfare implications for our pets so mm-hmm. um yeah the first place I would suggest people look is the animal behaviour and training council website mm-hmm. um because listed on there will be members of different organisations who all abide by a, a code of conduct to, to use kind ethical methods and that we've all um reached a certain standard in terms of knowledge and qualifications and experience so all of that has been pre and everyone on that website you'll know you're finding someone Brilliant. pretty decent on there yeah good so that's so then you can go on and search by location yeah. and then find somebody okay exactly. well that's good good yeah. tip um so we've got some really good questions coming in and i have to say uh, the the best thing about doing this is that you put these questions out and you never know what you're gonna get back in. <laughs> we've got some absolute corkers okay um so People that are listening, it's now uh, sort of middle of October, in case, I don't know, people might be listening at different times of the year, and Bonfire Night is just around the corner. So let's kick off with the obvious. We've got one in. Barney has a massive firework phobia. Um, with probably more this year, I'm expecting him to be worse. I think this is on the back of the fact that these reports that with the various lockdowns and limits on, on public displays, there's a, a very real risk that, you know, we, there might be more fireworks going off in the back gardens. So... I mean, it's such a massive topic, but what are your top tips for fireworks? So I think um, we obviously get different grades of sensitivity with dogs um, in response to fireworks. So you'll get those that are just quite mildly anxious and sensitive to it, and they might just choose to go and hide somewhere, or Mm -hmm. they might seek a bit of reassurance from the owner. Then you get them right through to the whole phobic panic response. Um, So... 
I mean, I, I can't really cover the whole range of those and what the different tips I would give. But I would say if you're on the, if you're, if your dog is on the far end of that with the panic and phobic response, the first port of call should be your vet. Okay. Um, and I'm sure you see a lot of those coming into clinic at this time of year yeah. asking for help and probably, um, anti-anxiety medication would be the first thing that you would mm. need to put in place for those. But if you've got some that are quite mildly anxious, they're choosing to take themselves off and hide somewhere. It's really important that we not only allow them to hide, but we actively encourage that as a coping strategy. So although it seems a bit backwards to us that it's, you know, I don't like the look of my pet being scared. Mm -hmm. That's their coping strategy. So if they're choosing to go behind the sofa or under the bed, I would make it comfortable for them. Make sure it's safe so there's no wires or anything that they can get caught up in. Mm -hmm. Um, actively encourage it put the water there if they will chew or lick at kongs or anything give them that there as well and and you're you're basically saying to them yes go and hide it's a safe place to be we're not going to try and force you out or encourage you out um the reason for that is that if you are out of the house and a loud noise goes off or some fireworks go off at random time of year and you weren't expecting it if your dog's got that coping strategy where it can just take itself off to hide, it's fine whether you're there mm. or not. Okay, yeah. Um, the other side of that coin is if you've got a dog that needs reassurance, at this time of year, my advice would be give it. Mm. However, after this year, I would be trying to encourage my dog to go and hide rather than need me Continue. for that reassurance. Because again, if you're not in the house and noises go off, you're not there to provide that reassurance yes. and that can lead okay. into a real panic response. And then that's when they really can't cope. Yes. So, it's a, so it's about finding a way for your pet to essentially cope yeah. on their own. Yes. But if you're around, you can gently reassure them. Yes. And is there a risk of that? I mean, people people sort of traditionally, I think, have been worried about reinforcing the the worry in them so if you kind of go over and say oh it's okay or you know you kind of do let them go and hide is that what has that kind of moved on from there? yeah so if you think about it you can't you can't reinforce an emotion you can only reinforce a behavior okay so it's i use an analogy it's a bit like if um, my child goes to the dentist and they're quite scared of the dentist um, but they get given a sticker Mm -hmm. that doesn't reinforce the fear it makes them feel a bit better about the dentist Mm. does that make sense yeah yeah so yeah so uh, in terms of reassurance only if the dog is seeking it should it be given if they've taken themselves off i wouldn't go to them i would just leave them be yeah okay so because that they can start some dogs might get a bit narky like leave me alone i'm trying to cope by myself yeah Yeah. so don't go reaching into their hidden hidey hole space which makes sense complete sense another one on fireworks actually we've got our two huskies are five months old and have never experienced fireworks Our dog trainer suggested buying them thundercoats and ferryman releasing plug or collar to help them with any potential issues. Happy to try, but also want to assess if the firework does cause issues in the first place. What would you recommend? Thanks, mm. Jose. Which I think, mm. so, so that's quite interesting. You mm. know, a young puppy that's never experienced it, do you kind of let them and see or should you be slightly preventative? I would be slightly prepared, yeah. So I think you'd have an idea by that age, hopefully, like, again, how sensitive they are in general to noises that you've heard out and about gunshots car doors slamming mm-hmm. you know those kind of things if you've got one that's a bit jumpy or, or is just an anxious disposition i'd definitely be err on the side of cautious for this firework period um but if you've got um a temperament type that seems fairly resilient and non-plus by it um i mean the, the pheromone plug in something that i would suggest most people get plugged in now mm-hmm. um because it's not going to mask the real um, panic responses so you would still get an idea if you've got a dog that's really worried but it just might be enough to just 
you know, provide that reassurance in the environment and make them feel a, a little bit more settled. Mm-hmm. Um, what else could they be doing? I wouldn't necessarily, with the, with the cut thunder coats that you can put on, the kind of calming jackets, you need to be a little bit careful that um, some people put them on their dog and their dog kind of goes, I, I can't move. <laughs> what is like this? straight jacket, not <laughs> yeah. a calming coat. And owners can sometimes translate that as, is the dog being calm when in fact they're just lying in their bed because they can't move so we need to we need to put it on in advance and assess that the dog does act normally wearing it and then it might be something you can use for fireworks yeah Um, I would still get in the habit of um, you know having the telly on a bit louder Mm -hmm. um, shutting curtains and doors just trying to mask just just mask it a little bit Uh, what about the things like uh, the fireworks CDs and Mm. and the noises you know the YouTube Mm. channel that Mm. plays fireworks is that a good idea to, to test the waters now or is that is it too soon i think if yeah yeah as a preventative thing if you've got young puppies and you don't know how they're going to respond you could certainly try that now just be careful of putting it on full blast and creating a fear response Mm. so just put it on quietly and gradually increase the volume and assess observe your dog and see what they do if you've got a dog that you know is worried it's it's probably too late for that now okay um you're not going to get very far in the nose we're days away aren't we really Mm. now yeah yeah um and also you've got to bear in mind that some dogs will know that it's coming out of speakers and um but they would be worried of the real thing so they so they can differentiate absolutely you can't trick yeah. a dog into yeah. thinking the noise from your laptop is the same some as you can and some you can't outside yeah. okay um okay right we've got a really good one here which i think a lot of dog owners will empathize with what can we do for obsessive sniffing on road walks? <laughs> <laughs> we can't get far and don't want to drag her, which I think is is understandable. Yeah. The last thing we'll be doing is sort of yanking on the lead, yeah. come on. But yeah. we've all seen it, those dogs that you can't get sort of more than three or four steps and their nose in every, every, every corner. What do you think? Okay, so... Um, yeah, it's a tricky balance, isn't it? Because for um, a lot of dogs, I'm actually saying to owners, let your dog sniff because that's how they navigate their world. Their walk is for them. Um, they're getting loads of information about their environment by sniffing. It's really good for anxious dogs in particular. Um, yeah, so, so that's, that's, that's kind of the one <laughs> hand. And then on the other hand, you get these really extreme sniffers that would quite happily plant themselves somewhere for 10 minutes. It's like reading a whole book in that time, isn't it? So um, for those dogs, I would generally, well, you've got a couple of options. One is that you teach a really good kind of heel heel cue so mm-hmm. that when your dog when you ask your dog to heal that means their nose doesn't go down and you're reinforced to start with you might need to reinforce them quite heavily for walking with you and checking in with you and being engaged with you um and then you might have a go sniff cue so you'll kind of mm-hmm. get to an area and you say to them right go and sniff and you can stand there for as long as the dog wants once you've given that okay cue. yeah so that's one option the other option is that we um teach the dog that they can sniff somewhere for maybe three or four seconds and then you encourage their nose up and you reinforce them for picking their nose up. Okay. Um, So you kind of get in this habit where the dog learns that they can do it for three or four seconds and then they check in with you, they get reinforced, you move on, you repeat that kind of pattern. So it's almost giving them sniff time yeah absolutely <laughs> so instead of trying to stop it all together yeah. try and put a little bit of structure into yeah. how long you kind of allow the natural behavior yes. before you kind of slightly intervene and say come on we've got yeah. a lot of walk left to do yes exactly <laughs> yeah it's yeah because you can't i think if you try and stop a dog from showing a natural behavior you're just going to end up fighting a massively losing yeah. battle so yeah, yeah which makes sense yeah. doesn't it good excellent <laughs> um those sniffing dogs <laughs> um okay Oh, here we go. 
This is from a, a fellow called Hannah. Older dog with new puppy next year, grumpy and very sassy, what's best to do? Which I think, I think means that they're trying to introduce a new puppy to their older dog. Um, I suppose maybe next year means that they're thinking about this rather mm. than it's already here. Mm. Um, Okay. What do you think? So, yeah, it's it's difficult. I've just done this exact thing. I've got two old dogs at home and I had a puppy last year. Um, very, very gorgeous. <laughs> if anybody, follow, we'll give you your handles at the end oh. of this, but everybody must go and follow you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is really hard. You do feel quite guilty on the old ones that just want a quiet retirement and then, you know, incoming <laughs> crazy yeah. ball of fun. Um, so the, the first thing I would say is there's quite a lot to say, actually, in, in a in a short answer the, the the initial introduction is vital to get right here okay. so don't just turn up with the puppy put it in the house and that's the dog's initial introduction to it um i would do it outside um with nice distance between them maybe a, a puppy pen across the garden i would do it really really gradually i've got loads of tips on my um you know instagram facebook and website mm-hmm. on this um it's the kind of thing really i'd probably recommend having a, a problem prevention remote phone consult with a behaviorist to be honest to make sure you get it right because if you get it right from the start that relationship can be lovely and it can really bring out the nice side of the older dog and they can actually have a new lease of life if you get it wrong it can be really really miserable for everyone and worst case scenario you know it doesn't work you have to think about yeah i think that's i think that's kind of the the art of behavioral medicine almost isn't it It's, it's kind of we can have these sort of broad theories and principles, but at the end of the day, every dog is individual exactly. and every situation is individual. Yeah. And and that's where it takes somebody to be able to assess it and, and assess it properly and then come up with a strategy from there. That suits your specific situation, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so maybe so maybe a, a behavioural consultation would be a good idea here. Yeah. To, to, even if it's remote. It get, would just need to be a phone call probably with yeah. someone to just, yeah, help help out. Good, we, okay. We're all available for that at the moment. You know, remote has taken off, hasn't it, since <laughs> yes. COVID? Okay, this again. This might be too too huge to answer, but rescue greyhound with severe separation anxiety now becoming destructive. Okay, I mean, pretty huge. Yeah. A huge a huge welfare issue. I always think with separation anxiety. When you when for people out there that don't know what separation anxiety is, I mean, I say, there, there will be a very fancy way of describing it. I'm sure, but essentially, it's where the dog is left on its own, can't cope, and becomes incredibly worked up to the mm. point where possibly even destructive. Mm. Um, it's very difficult as a vet, it's very difficult as behaviourist, but it's really difficult for owners and it's horrible to see your lovely dog, you know, unable to cope. So mm. it's a big issue. It might be something that immediately we just say is too huge to sort of give generalised answers on. But again, is there anything sort of general that people with dogs with separation anxiety could consider? So my first aid advice for these cases is <laughs> to try and avoid leaving the dog on its own so utilizing your community mm-hmm. um you know it takes a village um mm-hmm. contacting neighbors putting shouts out in community you know facebook groups or whatever there are people working from home a lot at the moment you know hopefully at the moment that's something that's more manageable um the reason for that is a every time the dog is left on its own and it gets to the point of distress um, it's it's making it's becoming more ingrained that problem is okay. getting worse um, as well as like you said it's the welfare implications of it every time it's left on its own so um, it's not going to get better on its own every time you leave it it probably will get worse interesting so it's not a case of it's not a case of try and build up and and you know it is better to avoidance yeah. of the situation is better is. in the first place yeah okay. um, because every time you leave that dog 
to get to the point that it's distressed, it's getting worse. Yeah. If if the dog can cope with late 20 minutes and it's okay in that time, then you can build on that. So you could pop out of the house for 15, 20 minutes and gradually build that time up. But yeah, you'll often read advice, won't you? Where, you know, my dog's got separation anxiety and then people will recommend just start popping out of the house for a minute, then two minutes, then three minutes. That's pointless if the whole minute the dog's distressed. Mm. It's not going to learn anything nice about being left on its own. It's just carrying on learning that being left is horrible. It just has to work. Wait, three minutes yeah, yeah, instead of exactly. one minute okay um so okay. yeah really the first port of call is don't leave your dog see your vet ask for a referral to a qualified behaviorist and mm. they will be able to handhold you through a whole program of building up um and again medication might be needed for the really yeah. severe cases now i saw a really good one somewhere let me okay so leading on from that a little bit in terms of what you said there about you know kind of that building up slowly we adopted our dog at 11 months back in June and she has had really bad vet experiences in the past and now is very reactive in there. What is the best way to overcome this for future visits? Thank you. Now, this is something that I think is is tricky because it encompasses, you know, how the vets approach this as mm. well as anything else. Mm. You know, a lot of vets will do these kind of, you know, socialization visits where it's, you know, sort of come in once a week and things. What's your view on that? So, yeah, I think they're really beneficial as long as the dog is not worried when it comes in to do those socialisation visits. Mm. So I think the biggest mistake I see well-meaning vet staff doing is saying, come on in to the vets and, you know, we'll do some treats in the consult room. But the dog is already what we call over threshold. Okay. The moment it walks into the vet practice, it's finding the whole experience scary and negative. So for those dogs, you might have to start outside in the car park and that's your first session. Mm -hmm. So you need to start off where the dog is happy and relaxed and then you build from there. So don't throw it in at the deep end, putting it straight into the situation it struggles with. Realistically, it probably needs to be done more often than weekly. But again, staff time and you know there's a lot and client time as well will affect that um but yeah certainly get really good results from those that can dedicate that time and and do it a couple of times a week five minutes that's all it needs to be Mm. um there's there's work they need to do at home as well like getting you know if they can't examine the dog and handle the dog and do all the things the vet would need to do at home then that's that's stage one Mm. they might need to muzzle train so the dog is happy wearing a muzzle so that Mm -hmm. everybody's safe and the dog's not distressed when one gets put on it let's Um, let's talk about that because i i'm a massive fan of muzzle training i think it's people you know people get quite offended when a vet suggests that we should put a muzzle on but i think you know we've got to see 20 dogs if those 20 dogs are trying to take our yeah. things off then we're not going to get very far by the yeah. end of the week yeah um so it's nothing to be it's nothing to take offense to no. but equally dogs that aren't used to wearing them then you know the muzzle goes on and they panic Express, so it looks yeah. awful to the client yeah. as well yeah we're, t- so, talk to us about muzzle well, training. When, when i used to run puppy classes i used to do muzzle training with every single puppy that came into my class as a game um and again it was an opportunity for me to explain to all the owners how at some point in your dog's life they might need to have a muzzle put on them for various reasons when we're stressed and in pain we can you know get defensive Mm. um and how much nicer is it for those puppies and those dogs to have had a positive experience with a muzzle rather than one being shoved on them when they are in pain and stressed Mm. um so something i really champion from doing for all puppy trainers to introduce in puppy classes for owners to see it as a absolutely not let's call it a party hat if you want yes i don't yeah, care we do actually at work it's like let's put a party hat <laughs> yeah, on yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, you know the dog should be diving its nose into the muzzle rather than going oh no not the not muzzle. muzzle yeah okay 
Okay. So if we can create that positive association with So it, all dogs should be muzzle trained. Yeah, I've Great. done it with all mine. Um, yeah. One of them I've had to use um, <laughs> to save my vet's fingers mm. um, when she's been in pain and stressed, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Good, right. Um, okay, we've got a cat question here, which I think cat, I mean, cats... Oh, cats are tricky to read. Best times, aren't they? They sort of live on their own terms, but that's why we love them. Yeah. Um, hi, I have a question about my cat. When she was five months old, this is quite long, actually, so, so grab a cup of tea. Okay. I'll, I'll come back to you. Uh, hi, I have a question about my cat. When she was five months old, we went into lockdown. We've had her since she was nine weeks old. I have a big family and they are at my house a lot. And she loved everyone, was really sociable and loved attention from anyone who walked through the door. Obviously, during lockdown, she only saw the four of us who live in our house. She didn't go outside because she was too young. And with all the restrictions, we couldn't get her spayed until August. So for the three months, she saw nobody but the four of us. Since lockdown was lifted, my family have been coming over and she's been really scared. She hides. And if they go to stroke her, then she will hiss and sometimes even bite. This is totally different to how she was pre-lockdown and how she is with us as she's very affectionate and sociable when it's just her family in the house. Any tips? I don't want her feeling stressed when other people are about. Thanks. P.S. Oh, P.S. My kids love you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't just thrown that in for a little bit of uh, self-promo. I'm guessing we've got some Pets Factor fans out there. Oh. So hello to the hello to uh, the Pets Factor fans. Um, so, great question. Mm. What do you think? Oh, really sad, isn't it? It must be mm. really hard for them to see that sort of decline in her behaviour. Um, so, okay. So the first thing I would say is to not put pressure on the cat to be friends with visitors. So the first first stage would be, can the cat learn to be happy with visitors coming into the house, then they just leave her alone. And then stage two might be that we can build that confidence so that she's actually coming to spend time with people and seeking interaction. But during stage one, the more people put pressure on her and try and interact with her and try and stroke her and encourage her to be with them, the worse it she's going to be. Okay. So again, it's about having that coping strategy where leaving her to go and hide people don't put, don't try and stroke her or reach into that place um giving her hidey holes encouraging her to get up cats love to climb don't mm-hmm. they so giving her spaces within the room that you might be in with your visitors can she come in and just sit up high and observe everybody feeling safe up there um so yeah actively encouraging hidey holes and high places and taking all the pressure off her um you know this might be something that um various nutraceuticals might help with that kind of um anything if you know you've got visitors coming you can you can start to sort of put a nutraceutical in place a week before um, people might be due or any mm-hmm. stressor is, expe- is so expected. Nu- so nutraceuticals, these are the so things like the calming supplements you can get that promote a feeling of calm. Yeah. There's, there's a few on the market. Yeah, they're the non-prescription. Market. Yeah. Um, you know, some of them are based on a milk protein that's just designed to, you know, help the animals feel, um, yeah, calmer and happier and Mm-hmm. you know just generally relax just have a nice little bit of a chill yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you can give it like in advance of a known stressful event and during that stressful event so like when people are due to go on holiday it could be useful okay. um cattery stays anything like that yeah. um so it might be something that you know if you know you've got visitors coming again post this lockdown that you build that up a week week in advance mm. that can help okay. but yeah the biggest tip would be just take the pressure off her and try and instruct your visitors to leave the very cute cat alone yeah i think that's the thing isn't it Cat cats they often like to slightly be in control of their own environment exactly. a little bit. And we, as the humans, 
we are their humans, they are not our cats. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you know, I think it's kind of managing our own expectations of what the cat really wants as well, you know. Yeah. There, there are plenty of cats that like to come over and, and sort of have it on their terms a little bit. But that's okay, that's good, yeah. you know, you should you should encourage that. Yeah, I also think, just quickly with this one, um, you know, kittens are m- generally much more sociable and it might just have coincided that this cat's reached adolescence at this time of lockdown and that can often just change their, you know, disposition, they're, mm. they're more independent, less playful, less interactive. Okay, yes, yeah, so it might be actually just the adult personality yeah. coming through as well. Might be, Rather, yeah. yeah, okay. Right. And then the last one, let's, let's round them up. This, <laughs> I promised my friend I would ask you this. Okay. okay. Dear James, Hamble has a phobia of Dyson hand dryers, <laughs> which I suspect is linked to her hatred of being groomed. How do I fix her in capital letters? So my first response was, why on earth are you taking your dog into the toilets oh, in restaurants? How did you but discover it's not. that? I know, exactly, exactly. So basically, it's in particular, so I had to expand on this a little bit. In particular, it's pub and restaurant loos. Right. So basically, I know. So basically what it is, is during kind of, you know, lockdown and things like that, we're, we're, a lot of us are spending a lot more time with our dogs. They're taking a dog to a lot more of these new places. And part of that is, is that whenever she then hears the door go to the toilets, whether that's wherever they're sitting in the restaurant. So she's still at the table, but she can hear it through. Yeah. So when the door opens and the hand dryer is blowing, she hears it and really panics and starts, and starts, (laughs) um, I know. Then I felt really bad for saying, you know, for laughing at it. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, so excited. really quite sensitive, even at a distance, you mean, exactly. not right under it. No, okay. exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, in that case, I would go armed with some favourite treats. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, so this is a, a really good example of where you want the scary monster to be associated with something the dog loves. Okay. And the absence of that monster is very boring. Okay. So you're sitting at the table, there's no sound of the hairdryer, all of a sudden the toilet door swings open and you hear the hairdryer going and you're... The hand the, dryer. The hand dryer, sorry, not hairdryer. No, right. And um, the dog suddenly lifts, you know, becomes alert and worried. If you start feeding, drip feeding food and talking to them like, yeah, I heard it too, it was brilliant, I think it's a brilliant <laughs> noise. And as soon as the hand dryer turns off, you stop. Okay. So you almost want the dog to be thinking, oh, I was quite enjoying that. I really want to hear the sound of the dryer again because ah. that makes my mum or dad feed me really great stuff and make make everything and would, wonderful. And would that also divert their attention? So instead of then up on their feet barking and yelping, they would, would eventually she'd just look at you as the owner and just sort of come to you and say, can that I That would be treat? the idea. Again, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's about as well the distance you are. So if, if they're really frightened and you're too close to the dryer the fear of that dryer will outweigh the motivation for the food. Okay. So it's not going to work. But if you're a nice enough distance away that the dog can make that choice to, oh, actually, yeah, great, yummy food, and I'd yeah. rather engage with you, then that's exactly what we want. So maybe pick, a table. pick tables a long yeah. way away from the toilet doors, things like that, which, yeah. is, which is great. I mean, who doesn't want that? Exactly. Use your dog's excuse to say... Yeah. And, you know, I give you permission to go and do training in the pub, so what's <laughs> not to like? <laughs> so, you know, I told you this was going to be the best behaviour podcast ever. We've just given you permission to go and have a pint in the pub. There you go. Well, Rosie, thank you so much for coming on. I think those are really incredible tips, which I'm sure so many different pet owners will have will have taken so much from that because a lot of that you can extrapolate and things. Mm. In terms of sort of general calming, you know, in terms of sort of general advice, shout out to our sponsors here. We've got Zilkeen, mm. um, which is, you know, a, a great way of just basically promoting a sense of calm in our pets. 
that is kind of my first line approach for quite a lot of these different cases where you might just want something to, to kind of just slightly take the edge off. In terms of a behavioural kind of advice, in terms of behavioural workup, is that is that a, a good thing to be doing? Yeah. So I think for those with, yeah, but mild anxiety, it's a really, really good first port of call. I, mm. I will often recommend it for dogs and cats as well. Um, and I have had, you know, some, some clients report really good success with it. Um, and then, yeah, if, you know, if I would say a couple of weeks down the line, it doesn't seem to be helping, that might be where you take the next step, go mm-hmm. back to your vet and say, move on to you know asking for a referral or seeking seeking further advice yeah brilliant right so where can we find you okay so i um, my business name is pet sense um so i've got a website pet-sense.co.uk i'm on instagram and facebook i'm always trying to put helpful tips and hints on there so come along and join me and um and your instagram handle is at Oh, Rosie underscore Bescoby. Rosie underscore Bescoby. There you go, everybody. So <laughs> I will say thank you once again. That was a brilliant chat and, uh, and good luck to all the pets out there. And we'll catch up again soon. Bye. You can get in touch on email on vettogetherofficial at gmail.com or through Instagram at vettogetherofficial. And remember, anything you hear on Vet Together is given only as general advice. If you do have a medical or behavioural problem with any of your pets, please do contact your own vet. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another amazing animal-obsessed guest and I'll be answering more of your pet questions.